Well, let's begin our time with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight, for this opportunity once again to just be together as your people. Lord, we, we sometimes uh, bring upon our own life struggle and strife and difficulty simply because we refuse to, to consistently and regularly be with one another. And you have designed your church in order to lift us up, to build us up, to encourage us to be used by you in the lives of others and to have others' lives interacting with our lives in a special way. There's something that's special that happens when your body gathers together. You have designed it that way. Your, uh, your name is uplifted. You are worshipped. The society around us sees us and wonders why the lights are on in this strange building in the middle of the woods. And yet here we are, and we're opening the Word of God together as your people, and we trust that you would cause us to understand, to know what you would say, so that we could be encouraged in our own hearts, challenged in our own lives, enriched in our understanding of you, that we might be better equipped to live according to what you have for us. So would you attend to our time tonight for those purposes, that your name would be indeed glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me tonight and turn to John, our study of the Gospel of John. We find ourselves in John chapter 17 once again. And I don't know if you know this, but this is somewhat of a special day in the history of the study of this book for us here at Fellowship Bible Church because this is our 100th sermon in John's Gospel. Now, that simply means that we've spent nearly 100 hours studying this book. And we should, we should know something about what it's saying and the purpose for which John has written it to us, that, it, that that purpose would be effectual to us. I trust that we do believe that Jesus is the Christ. I trust that in believing that He is the Christ, we believe that He is the living God and that through believing in Him... As the living God, we understand that we have life in His name. That is exactly the purpose for which John has given us all of these words and the time that we've spent studying it. And we have walked our way through that and we have learned much from the Gospel of John. We have learned that Jesus is the Christ from His incarnation in chapter 1. The Word was flesh, the Word was God The Word dwelt among us, as it says in John chapter 1. And we were told there that He not only is with God or was with God, but in fact He is God. We've also seen His display of divine power as He turned the water into wine in the first miracle in John chapter 2 in the wedding in Cana of Galilee. As He explained the nature of true salvation we saw in Chapter 3 with Nicodemus who was the lead Pharisee of the time and that salvation only comes by means of the new birth. We have seen Jesus minister to those who were outcasts of the nation of Israel because they were half-breed Jews, the Samaritan people. And Jesus goes to them like no other Jew would and He ministers to them and the woman at the well in John chapter 4, that they might know true life. We've seen Jesus in His ministry challenge the religious system of the day. 
system that had been corrupted by the religious leaders so that no one could even have compassion for another person on the Sabbath day for fear that they would be violating the law of religion in chapter 5. And Jesus heals the man at the pool of Bethsaida. We watched as Jesus fed the more than 5,000 people in Galilee, clearly showing them that He is, in fact, the bread that they should desire. We saw Him the very next morning as they come to Him and He says to Him those very things. Do not seek for the things that are earthly, but seek for the things that are eternal, of which He is the eternal fulfillment. We've heard Jesus proclaim that He is the bread of life and the drink that never will run out in chapter 7, and that He is the light of the world in chapter 8. Of course, we saw Him heal the man born blind in chapter 9, and He showed all that were there that salvation is from God, and it is not on the basis of any kind of human works or any kind of human heritage at all. And He said to even the disciples that this man's blindness was not because of sin, but so that God's glory would be seen. We've seen Jesus proclaim that His sheep know Him, and they will follow Him because He is the Good Shepherd. And all that the Father has given Him will never perish. Why? Because He is God, and He declares this in John chapter 10. We watched Him raise the dead right before our very eyes in John chapter 11. And then you hear the crowds declare Him to be the King of the Jews in John chapter 12. And of course, in the last several months, we've sat and listened to the final teachings of Jesus Christ to His disciples on love and sacrifice, and the inevitable difficulty in this world for all of those who are identified with Him by faith in chapter 13. We resonate with the reality and soaked into our own hearts the comfort of His words in chapter 14, that He would not leave us as orphans in this world. As He said, Believe in God, believe also in Me. Behold, I go and I prepare a place for you. We were comforted by the reality that He is coming back, that one day He will return, that He has sent His Spirit to lead us into all the truth in the meantime. We heard and understood from chapter 15 that without abiding in Him, we can do nothing. Without remaining in Jesus Christ, without that constant flow of the divine relationship, we can do nothing that the Spirit is here to guide us in John chapter 16. And now here we are again, just hours before the death of Christ, now in our hundredth message, and we are hearing Jesus pray for those who are His own. It's a wonderful encouragement to us who are still living in this world. Randy said this morning, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, and that would be true because of this very fact, because what we find here is the exact opposite of what we find in the world. In the craziness of our world in which we live, there is one passage that I often turn to so that I can be reminded of the reality concerning the world in which I live. It's not John 17 that I turn to to be reminded of the world in which I live, it is actually 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want us to go there for a moment. I turn to it often in the world 
in which we live in, just so that I can have my perspective realigned to reality. And I, I need this often because the world that we live in can be a very confusing place. We are reminded of the very character of the world from the words of Paul to Timothy as he is about to embark upon the Christian ministry. Notice what he says. But realize this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Realize, the word realize in the original language is a word that we have heard many times. It's the word gnosko. Simple word, to know. Know this. But here it has the, the emphasis of know this with absoluteness. Absolutely realize this. Know this with absoluteness. Know what, Paul? Know this, that man will be lovers of self. Realize this with absoluteness that in the last days, difficult times are going to come, and here's how it's coming. For men will be lovers of self. Now, I'm not here to declare to you that we are in the last days. I don't know that. In fact, no one knows that time. But I am here to remind us that we certainly are in a time whereby mankind is clearly lovers of self. Lovers of self. Every day, it seems like it's the time when the judges were on the earth back in the Old Testament. Everyone seems to be doing what is right in their own eyes. It seems to be the kind of day we are living in. We see this with absoluteness in our own day. Man is, in fact, a lover of self. You say, how so? Man loves money, just like verse 2 says. He's a lover of money. Men today are boastful in every kind of way, as verse 2 says. They are arrogant. They are revilers. That means they are blasphemous. That's what the word means. They are blasphemous in every kind of way. It seems, it seems that obedience to parental authority has been simply thrown aside, as verse 2 says. They are unthankful. Irreconcilability is the reason for most broken relationships. And on and on and on the loving of self goes. It's a sad list. So much of what we do is selfish. The late poet Robert Browning even wrote this of man, quote, man seeks his own good at the whole world's cost, unquote. Man seeks his own good at the whole world's cost. We are having that picture in full color before us right now in our own day and age. And it is not a surprise, really, to any of us that the world is like that because sin is that which devastates everything it touches. 
And therefore, while man is not as sinful as he could be at every moment of his life, that he has the potential to be even more sinful than he is, he is still completely sinful. And therefore, he's a lover of self. And we in the church are not immune to the exercise of that kind of sinfulness. Even in our best condition, even in our prayers, we can often pray with the love of self at the top of our list. And one of the great realities, as you turn back to John 17, one of the great realities of this entire chapter in John's Gospel is that there is no sense at all that when Jesus prays that he is selfish in any kind of way. There is no sense here of selfishness. This entire prayer is selfless. I pointed out last time that we can see four petitions that Jesus is making here in these 26 verses before us. And none of them are selfish petitions. None of them are selfish requests that he is making. He prays, as I gave us last time, for the work to be finished. And we talked about that in verses 1 to 5. For the work to be finished. The work of God's glory. The work of glorifying God. He wants that to be finished. Not for the sake of himself, but for the sake of the Father. He said there's a second petition for our faith to be guarded, for the faith of His own to be guarded, and we're going to look at part of that tonight. Then there is, of course, for our holiness to be accomplished that He prays for in verses 17 to 23. The second one's verses 16 or 6 to 16, and then lastly, for our transfer to glory itself, Jesus prays for verses 24. To 26. So these are the four petitions that Jesus makes. These selfless requests to the Father on behalf of Himself and on behalf of us. None of these requests are selfish, even though we have already seen that He first prays for the work to be finished in verses 1 to 5. Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all mankind, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do, and now glorify yourself and me together with the glory which I had with you before the world was. It's not a selfish request. Jesus prayed that the Father would glorify Him back to the glory that He had before He was ever, before He had ever taken on humanity. And on the surface, that certainly could be construed as a pretty selfish prayer. Father, I would like my glory back. That sounds kind of selfish at least from our fallen perspective, until we understand why he requests it. He requests it because in his returning to the glory that he had before, that return to the glory that he had before his incarnation opens the floodgates to the ultimate glory of the Godhead that had been planned before time was ever created. 
Father, return me to my original glory so that the plan for the ultimate glory of you can come to be. Jesus is saying, Father, there is a sense in which you have been glorified through me on earth as I have accomplished all that you have given me to do. He says in verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. But now, but now return me to my glory so that I can return all of that glory back to you. It's an amazing request. Finish the work of glory, Father. Finish the work of glory through returning me to glory so that you might be glorified. And then he makes this second petition that I want to just begin to look at tonight. This second petition. Guard the faith of those whom you have given me. This is truly the essence of what we find in verses 6 through 16. Just listen to what it says. I manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you did send me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I have come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What is so amazing to me when I read this text over and over again is that here is Jesus just hours from the excruciating death that is on the horizon. And Jesus in his mind is not on himself. His mind is thinking of us. He is praying that God the Father, to which He is completely unified in every way, He is praying that our faith in the midst of the selfish world in which we live would never fail. You notice He asks that. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, verse 15, but keep them from the evil one. Protect them. Guard them. 
Well, tonight, I, I want us to just revel in that fact. That your faith, that my faith, since it is real and since it is faith in the object of Jesus Christ, that it can never fail because God always does what Jesus asks. And God always does what Jesus asks because Jesus always asks according to the will of God. Because Jesus cannot ask for anything outside of the will of who He is. Therefore, this is yet another guarantee because of who Jesus is. Specifically, I want us to just look a bit more closely tonight at what he says in verse 6 and its implications for us who know Christ by faith. Notice what Jesus says. I manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now we, of course, understand in the context of John's gospel, in the context of the words of this very passage, that Jesus is in the immediacy speaking about the disciples who are with him. Right? He has just spent chapter 13 through 16 in the upper room with those disciples giving them the final instructions for a saved people. You remember that series? And yet here he declares four truths concerning them which have implications and principal truths in reference to all of us as Christians. Let me just list the four truths for us. Here they are in verse 6. These men, they were gods. They were gods. That is, not they themselves were gods, but they were, God owned them. They were his possession. That is, God the Father. Because Jesus is praying to his Father. They were his, right? Jesus says, they were yours. Yours they were, is how it's stated there in the middle of verse 6. So that's the first thing. They were God's. Second thing, God has given them to Jesus. First principle, they were God's. Second principle, God gave them to Jesus. Third principle, Jesus revealed the Father to them. They were God's. God gave them to Jesus. Jesus revealed the Father to them. And then fourth, they kept the word that Jesus gave them. Now, all four of those things are important for us to understand as Christians because all four of those things are true of every person who can rightly claim to be a Christian. They're not simply just true of these men. They're true of every one of us. We were gods, and he could do whatever he desired before the foundation of the world with us. gave us to Jesus Christ as a love gift to the Son. Jesus was revealed to us by the work of the Spirit of God who opened our eyes to see. 
so that we would in the end, just like these men, embrace or receive that truth by faith. So that's what I want us to look at tonight. So Jesus declares, first of all, they were yours. They were yours. In one sense, we understand everything is God's, right? Everything is God's. He's the creator of everything. And therefore, He can do anything that He pleases with whatever He has created. There's not one thing within the creation that is running radical outside of the control of God. He is sovereign over it all. He is the creator of it all. In fact, it says in Colossians of Jesus Christ that through Him and by Him and to Him are all things made. But John is helping us see that in addition to the general possession that God has of all things, there is a specific possession that God has with His own. You and I, the disciples who were with Jesus that night, every Christian, we saw it even in our study in Romans this morning. Remember? For whom God foreknew. The whom, not the what. The whom He foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, it's that possession, that specific possession that Paul, or that uh, John, through the words of Jesus Christ, is referring to here. It is that specific possession that Jesus is praying about, that Jesus is bringing before the Father. We are those whom God the Father gave to Jesus out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, Jesus says. Men, women, those from every tongue, tribe, and nation from out of the world. In other words, you have been set off by God the Father as a specific love gift to the Son. Therefore, That ought to be the anchor for your enduring faith. One of the ways that Jesus is praying that our faith be protected, that our faith be guarded, is revealing to us the reality of how we got there. We were gods. God possessed us. He owned us. In other words... Your faith has come about not because in some whim of intellectual insight you came to your own sense and found that God's way was the best of all the ways to come about. And you said, hey, I think today is a good day for me to get my act together and therefore I'll choose God. That is not how it happened and that is not why it happened. You came to faith, and get this, you will continue in faith because you were God's possession before the foundation of the world. And then Jesus says that while we were the Father's possession in eternity past, according to His divine elective purpose, He gave us to Jesus Christ. 
Notice what he says. I manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. You gave them to me. That tells us first and foremost that not only are we the possession of God the Father, but we are also the possession of Jesus Christ. That's an important phrase, by the way, in John chapter 17. You'll notice he uses it several times in this entire chapter. Notice in verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. It's that same thing. They were yours. You gave them to me. Same phrase. I don't ask on the behalf of the world. I'm not praying a general prayer for the whole world. No, I'm not doing that. I'm only asking for those whom you have given me. Verse 10. All things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. What was yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. The same thing. The same implication that he's been saying. You gave them to me. They're mine because you gave them to me. They were yours. They're mine, and what's mine is yours. Verse 11. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. You have given me them. You have given me the name which I have given them. You remember in our study of John's Gospel, all the way back in John chapter 6, Jesus even was teaching this very principle to the people who were coming to him, to those people that he had fed. And Jesus answered to the Jews who were grumbling about him in verse 40, saying, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven, right? He had just fed them. He wasn't going to give them breakfast that morning because they're after the wrong things. They start to turn for him. He says, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. They're saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I've come down out of heaven? And Jesus said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. Listen, here it is. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. That's the same thing. No one can come to me unless you were owned and possessed by the father and he gives you to me. You're not coming without that. No one can come to me without the Father drawing him. No one can just wake up one day and decide on Jesus Christ. Without the possession of the Father, there is no giving to the Son. Right there is the working out of the reality of the words of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus has spent more than 30 years on the earth. He spent three concentrated years doing the ministry. And thousands had not only seen him, but thousands had heard him. And yet, here he is in John chapter 17 with just a few. The fact remains that not many believed upon Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 44, was in living proof. 
No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Why? Because only those whom the Father, who are the fathers are given to the Son. John chapter 1 says he came to this earth. He came to his earthly own, and his earthly own did not want him. Why? Why didn't they want him? Because they were not of those whom were given to him by the Father. You see, Jesus in his ministry was not under the false illusion in some outward display of success when it came to ministry. Jesus wasn't under some pragmatic idea that if he said things a certain way and if he adjusted things a certain way, then maybe I would get a greater following of the people behind me. Maybe I'd have a greater crowd. Maybe I'd have better influence on the people that were around me. Jesus never thought like that. Jesus never had a prosperity gospel message. So he went around the country preaching as God had dispatched him to preach. Jesus knew that those who truly believed were those whom the Father had given to him. That's why he prays it here. You gave them to me out of this world. They were yours and you gave them to me. They were yours and you gave them to me. So did they come? Did the people come? Was it, a, was it people that, 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 that actually, is this actually a true statement? Certainly. Certainly those whom God had given to Jesus did come. And every other believer since that God has given to the Son has come and they will come. Because that's how God works. That ought to be a lesson to us that that is why we came. That is why you are sitting here tonight in the faith in Jesus Christ that you have. That is why in the time when you were saved, however many years ago, that God saved you. If you are saved here tonight, that is why you came. Because God you were and you were given to Jesus. You were given to Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, Jesus says that he revealed God to them. I manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus has revealed God to us. God possessed us in a special way. He gave us to Jesus to possess in a special way. And Jesus has revealed God to us. And of course we understand that Jesus is declaring that not only is He the earthly reflection of the very essence and attributes of God, but what Jesus is declaring even in that statement in verse 6 at the beginning is that I am God. That's what He's saying. I manifested Your name to the men who whom you gave me. He's not talking simply about a message that he spoke. He's talking about the essence of his very life. I revealed you to them. Remember what John said all the way back in chapter 1 of Jesus Christ? 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. Jesus has explained Him. It's Jesus who is God. Jesus has shown us God because Jesus is God. In other words, the reason that Jesus could make what seems to be such an outlandish statement and it not be selfish to say, look at me, is because He's God. We've heard and we've seen this throughout His Gospel. The religious leaders fully understood what Jesus was saying when He made these claims and when He proved it. We're even reminded of it back in John chapter 10, remember? John chapter 10, verse 22, the Feast of Dedication is taking place in Jerusalem. It's winter, and Jesus is walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon, and the Jews are gathering around Him, and they're saying to Him, Listen, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, then tell us plainly. Jesus says to them, I told you. I told you plainly. And you do not believe. I told you and you reject. I told you the truth. I showed you the truth. You don't believe. He said, the works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witnesses of me. I said with my words who I am. I showed you with my works who I am. But you don't believe. Why? Because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so what did the Jews do? What did the religious leaders of the day do who were standing around Jesus along with their cronies? What did they do? Verse 31, they took up stones to stone him. And so Jesus says to them, why? I showed you all kinds of good works from the Father. In other words, my works declare who I am. It's from God that I'm doing these things. I told you I am who I am, and I've shown you works about who I am. For which of them are you stoning me? Jews say to him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They got it. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. They understood exactly what they saw. They knew it exactly. Jesus Christ is God. They fully got it. Again, John chapter 5, Jesus reveals who He is. And verse 41 says, And many more believed because of His word. And they were saying to the woman, this is the woman at the well, uh, I'm sorry, that's, verse, that's chapter 4. Verse 41, Jesus said in chapter 5, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do, you do not have the love of God in yourselves. 
I've come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you'll receive him. So how can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Jesus says, I don't need to accuse you. Don't think that I'm going to be the one accusing you before the Father. I don't need to. The one who accuses you is Moses. Why? Because you set your hope in Moses. You set your hope in the law of Moses. You set your hope in doing what's outwardly righteous. But if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Jesus says, listen, if you don't want to believe me, then believe my word. Believe the witness of John the Baptist who came before me. You sent to John, verse 33 of chapter 5, and he bore witness to the truth. But the witness which I receive is not from man. I say these things so you might be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice while you were in his light, but you won't believe me. Okay, then believe my works. The witness which I have is greater than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I do. So they bear witness that I've been sent from the Father. John was telling you I was sent from the Father. The works tell you I was sent from the Father. The Father himself is bearing witness. The Father who sent me, he's borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you because you do not believe in him who he sent. You don't believe John, you don't believe my works, you don't believe the Father, and guess what? You don't even believe the Scripture. You don't even believe the very thing you say you believe in your own righteousness because you search the Scriptures, verse 39, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's those that bear witness of me. And you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. They got it. They got it. Again, in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 41, the Jews are grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. And they're saying, is this not Jesus? Jesus says, why do you grumble among yourselves? No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. You see, Jesus is saying, listen, you would come to me if you really were God's possession. reason you want to get rid of me is because you're not God's possession. And so what do we understand from all of that? We understand this, that our salvation by faith is because we were God's before the foundation of the world. Because we were God's possession. And we were given by God the Father to God the Son. And the Son has shown us the Father because the Father and the Son are one. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
you understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and you expressed faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ because God had granted that to you because you were God's given to the Son and Jesus had revealed the Father to you. And then he says, lastly in John 17, 6, and they kept your word. And they have kept your word. In other words, they obeyed the truth. That's why you're saved, because you obeyed the truth. You were God's. God gave you to the Son. The Son revealed the Father to you, and you obeyed the truth. Jesus says, they heard what I have told them. I manifested your name to them. They heard that, and they have kept your word. The word there is tereo in the original language. The idea is that they detained the word so it didn't get away. That's the idea. They kept it. You know what that means? It means that they believed Jesus and they obeyed what he said. They believed Jesus and they obeyed what he said. That's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, The words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you did send me. In other words, their keeping of the word that Jesus had gave them was that they believed it. They detained it. They absorbed it. They took it in. And the believing showed up in their life in action. They believed it and they obeyed. They believed it and their life was changed. They believed it and they walked according to that faith. So Jesus is first thanking God for their faith. He's asking His Father in the following verses, that he would protect them in that faith. Verse 12, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and the things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world hated them because they're not of the world. So I don't ask that you take them out of the world. But keep them from the evil one. Guard their faith. What an unselfish prayer. What an absolutely unselfish prayer. What a joy for us to see how secure our faith is in Jesus Christ. How intimately involved the Father is with our salvation. How intimately involved God the Father is in saving us. And so just listen again. Just listen once again how Jesus prays in light of these realities. Just listen. Verse 7 to 10. Now they have come to know. In other words, in light of verse 6. Now they have come to know 
that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you have given me, I have given to them. And they received them. And they truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you did send me. So I ask on their behalf. I don't ask on behalf of the world. But of those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. It is Jesus' desire that the Father be glorified. Father, glorify your Son with the glory that I had before the world was, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus desires that the Father be glorified. And Jesus is doing that in us. He's doing that in us because in our salvation, we are glorifying Christ. We believe Christ is glorified. And when Christ is glorified, the Father is glorified. And the world knows that God and Jesus are one. They may not believe it, but they know it. Nothing, nothing could be better than that. And we'll get more next time. Get more next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word here. We thank you that we can just get a glimpse, a small glimpse, really, into the wonder of your prayer on our behalf. Your prayer, which the Father is eager to answer because you always desire to do his will. And so what a joy it is to know that in Him answering the prayer for Your glory to be restored and for that glory to be returned to the Father, that there is also the answer that He would guard our faith while You're not here. That He would keep us in You because being in You glorifies the Father. And so we thank You that You chose us that you gifted us to the Son and that you opened our eyes to believe. Father, help us in that faith, walk in obedience to you, that the Son would be glorified in us as the Son glorifies you so that we might just be a, a, a beam of, of light, a, a bright beam of light of the glory of you to the face of this world that they might know who you are. Thank you for giving us what we did not deserve, that we might have a life that would honor you even now and forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.